Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHerCon is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. There is an issue that comes up when you're selling to your family, but a lot of what the IRS is going to look at is the price that the property is being transacted at. So if it's a million dollar property and you're selling it for a hundred thousand bucks to your kid, there's going to be a problem. Welcome to the best ever show, the world's longest running daily commercial real estate podcast. Our hosts interview commercial real estate experts every day to get you the best advice ever with none of the fluffy stuff. Hello, best ever listeners. Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Ash Patel. Today's episode is brought to you by BAM Capital a trusted multifamily syndicator that has never missed a preferred payment and never lost an LP's investment. To learn more about investment opportunities with BAM Capital, visit capital.thebamcompanies.com or click the link in the show notes. And I'm with today's guest, Jonathan Hiley. Jonathan is joining us from Denver, Colorado. He is the founder of 1031 Specialists. They help investors and family offices facilitate fast, transparent and error-free 1031 exchanges. John, thank you so much for joining us. And how are you today? Ash, I'm doing great. Thanks. Hey, it's a pleasure to have you on. John, if you would, can you give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now? Sure. So I'm a former hedge funds guy who then about 15 years ago started investing in cannabis companies and became a cannabis executive for a number of years, raising nine figures for one in particular. And a few years ago, sold that business and my wife told me I needed something to do. Started talking to some real estate friends of mine, uncovered this really interesting business called Qualified Intermediaries and thought it was way too interesting for me to not try. So started this business a few years back, brought in some partners that have had 25 years of experience doing 1031 exchanges. And we're here with a tech forward approach to being a qualified intermediary and doing things a little bit different than everybody else. What are you doing differently? So here is the fascinating thing about qualified intermediaries, Jen. There are maybe a thousand professionals across the country that do 1031 exchanges, either as an accommodator or as a qualified intermediary. And despite this really small little market of people, 
they control about $200 billion in 1031 exchange money every single year. So you're talking about a very small group of people controlling a disproportionately large amount of money. And there really hasn't been anything new or interesting in the 1031 qualified intermediary space in the last 30 years. The average profile of a qualified intermediary is 65 year old that's been doing this for 35 years. And on the margin, there are way better service levels you can provide given today's technology. You can be way more tech forward and you can just provide a better client experience. And at the end of every 1031 exchange is a client and us aligning for a successful transaction. What intrigued you about a business that seemingly seems as interesting as being a tax attorney? <laughs> Here, as a guy that started his career working at Goldman Sachs and then on the buy side researching companies, both public and private, I don't know if I've ever come across a market structure that looks like what it does in qualified intermediary world. There are three big companies that control 80% of this market. It's Fidelity with IPX, it's First American, and it's Stewart. And then you've got a couple of hundred really small independent qualified intermediaries. And my company, 1031 Specialists, is definitely considered one of these independent qualified intermediaries. And what is interesting is when these independents retire, I've seen this watching this market over the last year, year and a half, there's nobody to buy their business. There's no way to transition their business. So they just put up on their website, we're not taking any new clients. Here's some options for you to choose a qualified intermediary. And the dynamics around A, how this market is structured, B, how these big incumbents and also the kind of older independence companies, there's not a lot of effort put forth in their business and their approach to business that I just find it fascinating. We talk to commercial real estate brokers as referral partners all day long, and we talk to clients all day. And if you ask a commercial real estate broker, who's your QI guy? Who's your qualified intermediary that does your exchanges? Nine out of 10 will shrug their shoulders and say, I don't have one. And this inability to create a national brand is where the big opportunity is for us. And that's why this space is so fascinating. All right. We'll circle back on some of the dynamics in starting and running a 1031 company. Let's debunk some of the myths that are out there. The like kind exchanges, I can't tell you how many people I've spoken with and they're like, wait a minute, I can sell an apartment and buy a strip mall or land. Can you once and for all explain the like kind exchanges? I will. But first, one of the dynamics around this market is also a head scratcher, which is about 15% of commercial real estate transactions are 1031 dollars and I'm sitting here looking at 1031, which really is just a tool and a tool that carries very little risk to use. And I scratch my head and I say, why isn't 50% of the market exploring a 1031 exchange instead of just 15 today? And I because think a lot of it rich people. <laughs> I Wait think a minute. It, the it, misnomer, right? It works yeah, for, the mis it, sorry, it works the, for the, everybody with the exception of pension and endowments that don't have to worry about the same tax consequences as an individual or family office. But I think after just being such a part of this and it's sort of this all consuming thing now for me in my life, my answer is 
I just think the education is horrible out there. A lot of the videos you'll see on YouTube, a lot of the education materials, they're very dry. They look like and sound like they were written by a, a tax attorney. And the reality is this is seemingly complex. And as you dig deeper, it's a complex subject, but at the top level, it's a pretty simple concept. 1031 is a tool for you to defer taxes. Why would you want to defer taxes? Well, because compounding your wealth tax-free provides way more money to you than paying tax each time, than paying the 30 to 40% tax each time on a sale. Because it's not just capital gains tax you're talking about. It's net investment income tax, it's depreciation recapture tax, and it's state tax. And so you've got all of these different levels of tax in here that you can just push out. And the reason you push it out is because you can invest in more productive properties. You can get higher basis for more depreciation, especially during this period of bonus depreciation. There are all the reasons in the world to do a 1031 exchange, and there are very few reasons why not. And so when I think about this, part of what we're doing is just putting the message out there more loudly, more emphatically, that everybody should be considering doing a 1031, at least explore. So this is the 95% of what I do every day as the CEO of this business is educate. And once and for all, <laughs> a 1031 is the swap of an investment property for another without paying the tax in the middle of it. And you can go from a rental in Kansas, a single family rental or an Airbnb property to a strip mall in Miami, Florida. You do not have to exchange the same exact asset for the same exact asset category. There are more than 16 different types of real estate asset classes that can qualify for a 1031 exchange. Everything from multifamily to office, to oil and gas rights, even to Delaware statutory trust structures. It really runs the gamut. And what's great about a 1031, particularly in this time when you've got some assets that are more distressed than others, like in office, let's say you had a view that inside of your city, office was an opportunity because there was distress, but you had this huge portfolio of multifamily. Well, you could swap the portfolio of multifamily, transition into an office investment, and you can sell five multifamily properties and buy one office if you wanted to and not pay any tax on that and really take advantage of these different market dynamics across different real estate assets. So I think it's just a fascinating thing to be able to do. And to me, a 1031 exchange is quite literally a gift that the U.S. government has given real estate investors for the last hundred years. And I consider this to be the eighth wonder of the world. So I have rambled. I will stop and John, let's debunk the simpler myths. It's only for the rich. How much does it cost to involve a QI and do a 1031 or start a 1031 on a deal? So 1031 will happen just like any other real estate transaction. The difference is there is a few more forms to fill out. There is a small fee to pay, which I'll talk about in a second. And then the other important point is that you can't take constructive receipt of funds. So the qualified intermediary will direct funds to a partner bank account. We use separate segregated trust accounts for our clients. Okay. So it sits there until you're ready to swap. The fees are totally de minimis relative to a real estate transaction for a standard forward exchange. For us, it's $1,195. 
Here is the deal we make with our clients though. Let's say you're in the middle of this 1031 exchange and you don't want to identify the properties or you don't like the properties you've identified and you do not want to close for whatever reason. We'll give you your feedback because our view is if we've done half an exchange, we haven't done an exchange and we want to align interests of our clients with ours. And so it's 1195 bucks for a sport exchange, but if you don't do it, you get your money back. So we're talking about a very small amount of money to have the optionality to do a 1031 exchange. All right. So you mentioned this was a $200 billion per year market. And one of the ways that QIs make money is I'm assuming you put the money into an interest bearing account and you keep the interest. So what a great win-win solution where normally you roll the dice and if you don't have something lined up, you pay the thousand dollars, you 1031 and hope that you can find an exchange to put your money into. If not, no big deal. You're at a thousand dollars. But in your case, you want every real estate sale to go through you potentially 1031. If not, here's all of your money back. And I made a little bit of interest for the 45 days that I held it. That's right. And the interest part is it's not kept by us as your qualified intermediary. We just direct those funds to a bank and we use big money center banks and smaller regional banks. And so we have a mix of bank partners, but they are the ones that collect the interest on the money through that funds program. And then we will negotiate whatever we get from that deposit interest. Our clients are in full control of the timing of their transaction. So yeah, if they decided to sell their property and we're in a 1031 exchange, which again, is just filling out a few forms and using the structure as a tool, they want their money back. Here's your money back. Here's your fee back. Off you go and go buy something else that you want that's outside of the 1031. So we make it pretty easy. All right. So we've debunked. It's only for the rich because with your solution, it doesn't cost you anything if you don't proceed. That's right. And another thing I hear a lot is, well, the government's going to do away with 1031s and you're going to be stuck with this snowball tax burden. My opinion is they can't stop the 1031. And if they do, they have to grandfather everybody that's in because the liability is huge. What are your thoughts? Look, the 1031 exchanges were introduced over a hundred years ago. So this has been a century ongoing in the US. And the reason that these rules were introduced was to promote development after World War I. Now, in the middle between 1921 today, which is 2023, the rules evolved. And what you used to be able to do a few years back is you used to be able to swap an airplane for another airplane. So you used to be able to do this for personal property. The 2017 Trump signed the Tax and Job Cuts Act. And what that did was it eliminated 1031s for everything except real estate. So the real estate remains untouched. There was a huge lobbying effort by qualified intermediaries and market participants. I don't view these rules as changing for real estate for the rest of my lifetime, which is part of the reason we're building this business. One of the things that came out of those lobbying efforts in the research was there is this idea that once you start swapping and doing 1031s, you should do it until you die. You should swap until you drop. But what you find actually in the data 
is that nine out of 10 that are on this sort of swap train before they pass away, they end up opting out. So they would rather take their cash at the end. So the government gets their money. It's just that they get it at a later time in almost every single case. So my view is these rules aren't changing. My view is you're going to see way too much pushback. And we actually six years ago just went through all of this. And the result was 1031s are here to stay for real estate. Yeah, it seems like this only comes up during election time where it's used as a political weapon. So I agree with you. I don't think they're going anywhere. To debunk the like-kind exchange, can you give us an extreme example of a like-kind exchange? Sure. We have a client that's in the early phase of selling a multifamily portfolio for nine figures, and they want to swap into office in a particular part of the country because they don't believe office is dead. And this is, to me, an extreme example because... A, it's big dollars at stake, but B, you're going from an asset class that has a huge run-up and huge amount of interest in the last 10 plus years to one that is in distress where you can take advantage of pricing dislocations and banks taking ownership of properties and needing to sell them. So to me, this is a really good example. And by the way, that transaction is happening in completely different parts of the country. So the Southeast multifam portfolio is getting traded for, I'll call it a West Coast office investment. So it is that you can exchange through all of these different real estate asset classes, but also anywhere in the country that really makes it limitless options for someone. And there are pricing discrepancies and dislocations across these asset classes, which allows you to jump from one to another win in one and then eventually win in the other as pricing normalizes. John, just to be clear, the way to win the 1031 game ultimately is when you pass away, your heirs get the last of your properties at a stepped up basis. There's two ways to win. While you're alive, you can win by swapping into a more productive property, one that maybe generates more cash flow, or that just is a higher basis that allows you to take advantage of depreciation. Then once that asset is fully depreciated, you swap into another one and you restart the depreciation cycle all over again. So while you're living, you get these huge benefits for just doing that. And then when your time on earth is up, that's when your properties pass to your children, they will get a step up in basis and you will have not only deferred taxes during your lifetime, but you will have completely eliminated them because that step up in basis means they're not going to pay taxes when the assets are transferred. One of the things that I hear a lot of people say is, yeah, but at some point I want to retire. I want to sell my real estate. And my advice to them is, look, you can still sell your real estate, but your very last property, buy a Starbucks, a Walgreens, a Home Depot, something with a 20 year lease on it so that your money is parked. You can do a cash out refi. So you can pull the majority of your money out and spend it, but you avoid the taxes still. Is that a valid approach? I think that's great advice. And everybody has a unique situation. Maybe there's unexpected bills that come up that need to get paid and you sort of have to opt out. I think that's what drives a lot of the, what I was telling you, 
about nine out of 10 eventually opt out of a 1031. For me and my family, it's very much a game I want to continue to play because there's just so many incredible benefits to doing it. And it's not just a benefit on a single swap, like I was mentioning with a higher basis property or a more productive property, but the benefits of compounding tax-free, I think are maybe not well understood by a lot of people. And I tweeted, I've got a, an account on X called Mr. 1031 and the post went viral and it was a table starting with the same equity, compounding tax-free versus paying a 30% tax bill after every transaction. And I think it's rare that someone does 20 1031s in their lifetime, but you could. If you started at 20 years old and you, you did once every two years, by 60, you've done 20 swaps. And the difference in money from compounding tax-free versus paying a 30% tax bill for each and every one of those 20 transactions is $292 million. And of course, I'm making some return assumptions in there, but the, the, it's the same return assumptions for both cases. It's just that compounding tax-free creates exponentially more money for you if you continue to do it. So I'm a big proponent of this swap till you drop and do it till you die and using this tool to your benefit. And quite honestly, if you defer once, let's say you have a million dollar profit and you would otherwise pay $300,000 in taxes and you're against this whole 1031ing forever. I don't want a snowball tax return. Do it one time. You now have an extra $300,000 that you can grow or spend or do whatever with. And that really pays for itself. Is that right? Yeah. I think a good example is let's use the million bucks sort of cap gain and we can assume 30% tax rate on that. The difference once you sort of net the tax is a million bucks in one hand and 700 K in another. But let's make an assumption that you're using all of that cash as a down payment for your next property. And let's assume your down payment is 20%, just to make the math simple. Well, with a million dollars, you can buy a $5 million property. That's 20% equity, 80% debt, assuming you can service that debt. With a $700,000 property, you can buy a $3.5 million property. So you can buy a million and a half more dollars in real estate because you decided to 1031 versus not 1030. That's a much more compelling way to say it. <laughs> I got to run a scenario by you. I have an acquaintance that is selling a gas station and they were told because the real estate is in a corporation that they cannot 1031. Now, my understanding is 10 years ago, people were pretty rigid about what you can and can't 1031. From what I've seen in the last couple of years, the intermediaries are saying, if you give us advance notice, we can help you 1031 just about any piece of real estate. Is that right? So you can potentially move this into the proper entity and still be able to 1031? Yeah, it's not necessarily about the entity because you can do a 1031 if a property is in a trust, if it's in an LLC, if it's in a C-Corp or an S-Corp, or if it's just individually held. As long as it's an investment property or used for business purposes, the structure doesn't really matter. At the end of all of this, the IRS, there's a rule called the single taxpayer rule. And the point is they need to look through, if you ever opt out of an exchange, they need to be able to look through and attach those deferred taxes that are now going to be tax payable 
to a specific person. And so as long as you have taxpayer ID continuity, the corporate structure doesn't matter. Now, specific to this example, what most business owners should be doing anyways is separating the ownership of the real estate in an LLC with the operations of the business and sort of having these, these two different things. That allows a lot of flexibility, potentially a liability perspective and a liability shield, but also it allows you to piece apart those two things. So if someone wanted to buy the gas station operations, but not the real estate, didn't have the money for the real estate, you could do that and hold on to the real estate or vice versa, sell the real estate and maintain the operations. So what this individual has to do is do that. Separately value the real estate from the operations in this transaction, either legally and hold it in a different corporate structure or just together, but have a valuation done on what that real estate is worth. And that's the amount they would then 1031. Sorry, I'm saying there's still so much bad advice out there because he's had attorneys and CPAs tell him he cannot 1031 out of that. And I'm, I'm trying to let him know there is absolutely a way to do it. Yeah, there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pages of IRS revenue rulings. So these are private letter rulings, which there is a specific body of policy around 1031 exchanges. But then the IRS gets asked a lot of questions that are edge cases to the policy. Does this qualify? Does this qualify? So you have this sort of body of work and these private letters that have been done over the last hundred years that support a fact pattern that would make this okay, that maybe the attorneys or CPAs haven't read those private letter rulings yet. So the point is, there's a lot of bad information out there. There is also a lot of information that's not that readily available, but can be used to support a 1031 transaction. But this one is not a hard one. I don't know why he would be giving that advice. John, another one that comes up a lot is a partnership, a joint venture where you have more than one person in a deal. And at the end of that, before they sell, they can't come together on if they should 1031 the entire entity or not. Some people want to, others don't. Can you break apart a partnership and have one partner 1031 and another one not? Yeah, you can drop and swap and you basically assign the interest of the different partners in that transaction. And then that percentage interest turns into cash, which is then the 1031 amount that that partner can take on his own outside of the partnership. Is this something that a title company does in conjunction with somebody like you? How does that work? No, it's a real estate attorney or a CPA. Okay. That'll do that. What other myths are out there that need to be debunked? I think one of them is just that this is hard. It's really not hard. It's a few pieces of paper inside of a normal real estate transaction. It's a qualified intermediary that is required by the IRS to manage the funds. And it's staying within the guardrails of the timelines of a 1031 exchange, which are easy to do if you just plan and prepare ahead. Um, so I think that's kind of a big one. Um, the other one is that I, I think is maybe not well known is that you don't have to do a full 1031. You can, you can do a partial 1031, meaning you don't have to use all of the proceeds. If you're selling a property for a million dollars, you don't have to use all million dollars. John, 
Is this a hack? What I'm about to share, we are in early December of 2023 right now. If we are within 45 days of the end of the year and the beginning of the next calendar year, if I sell a property and 1031 the proceeds, does that allow me to defer the taxes outside of that current year? Meaning if it was just a sale, I would pay on my 2023 taxes, any of the gains. But if I do the 1031, even if I don't find a replacement property and I opt out of it in 2024, does that alleviate me from paying the gains in 23? It's the tax year in which the first property is sold. So the relinquished property is sold. And so if you're in the middle of a 1031 and you straddle a year, so you've sold your property in 23 and you're now in the middle of your 1031, but you haven't purchased the other side yet, you'll still have to. And we, the clock change. struck 2024. Clock strikes 2024. You're still in the middle of your exchange transaction. So you're not paying anything in 2023. You will, however, report that on your 2023 taxes. What you will do is you will file an extension if you get past April 15th. Then once your replacement property is finished and you've replaced it, your accountant will file form 8824. Okay. So if you don't complete the 1031, you are paying on the gains in 2023? If you do not complete the 1031, you will be paying gains in 2023. Okay. And you have to file an extension if you have a 1031 in the midst. Got it. Understood. What other hacks or myths are out there? One, and this is sort of a silly one, but you have to exchange properties with the same individual, meaning on the buy and sell side. And that's just completely untrue. I don't know why that's you know even out there. And there's a lot of folks out there that will say, why bother with this? Like eventually you're going to pay taxes. And as we mentioned and, and already covered, you can just keep swapping. And Ben Franklin was wrong. Okay. Death is certain. Taxes, at least in 1031 world, are not because of that step up in basis you get when you pass your property portfolio to your kids. John, I saw a couple of posts online where people were contemplating doing an exchange with somebody they know and trust, basically swapping properties. And that's not an arm's length transaction. Is that a red flag? If it's a friend that you're swapping properties with and it's market rate, meaning you're not totally disconnected from where the property value should be anyways, then there is no issues. There is an issue that comes up when you're selling to your family, but a lot of what the IRS is going to look at is the price that the property is being transacted at. So if it's a million dollar property and you're selling it for a hundred thousand bucks to your kid, there's going to be a problem with that. Yes. Are you ready for the best ever lightning round? All right, let's do it. John, what's the best ever book you recently read? I'm a seven and a half year old and read The Giving Tree every night. John, what's the best ever way you like to give back? I like to give massages to my wife to relieve her stress. And John, how can the best ever listeners reach out to you? Sure. It's John J-O-N at 1031specialists.com or just go to 1031specialists.com and give us a call. We're approachable. We're here to answer any questions and just be, be helpful. John, I'm glad we had this conversation today. I did not know a service like yours exists where if I don't do the 1031, I get my money back. So every deal that we sell from here on out, you're going to get a phone call from us. So thank you for your time today. 
Thanks, Ash. Appreciate it. Best ever listeners, thank you so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a five-star review. Share this podcast with someone you think can benefit from it. Also, follow, subscribe, and have a best ever day. Hi, best ever listeners. Joe Fairless here again. And one last thing before you go, would you like to receive a short weekly email with proven tips from experienced investors, free tools and resources, and a roundup of the week's most relevant news and best ever content? Well, if so... Join the community of nearly 15,000 commercial real estate passive and active investors who receive the best ever newsletter. Just go to bestevercre.com forward slash access and you'll get the very next one. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, thank you for listening and have a best ever day.